0: Hello, everyone. My name's Stuart Fechner at Benelong Funds Management. I'm the Research Relationship Manager here based in Victoria. I'm really pleased today to be joined by Chris Beddingfield from Key Global Investors. Hello, Chris. Hey, Stu. How are you? I'm well, thank you. You Hi. recently um, wrote one of your Insight articles titled House Prices, What's in Store? And I think it's fair to say you've grabbed the bull by the horns there because uh, real estate and housing prices is... Uh, Australia's favourite barbecue topic, you could say. What's um, what's made you look into this a little further?
1: It's certainly, it gets certainly gets more attention than uh, you know when we when we write about shopping centres or uh, industrial property. It's uh, everyone's got a bit of a vested interest, but I guess from our perspective, when when you look at our portfolio um, globally, we have quite a lot of residential. Um, mainly in the United States, but also in Europe as well. We, we like residential as an asset class because it is a it is a needs-based asset. Um, it tends to be, you know, very, pro, um, very resilient to any sort of technological change. Uh, you know, obviously we know what's happened in areas such as retail. So it's pretty resilient. It's got relatively low maintenance CapEx. So we have a pretty decent exposure to the space. So we're always doing our research and thinking about, Residential, generally, um, and obviously, it's it's grabbed a lot of attention lately. Um, so we decided to, uh, to to do some work, and uh, and and we, you know, from time to time, we do publish some of our internal work through these through these white papers. So we we thought we would share some of
0: our some of our thoughts. Okay, well, it's interesting to know for a start that you can gain that sort of exposure through a a global property fund. Um, it, it seems as though there's several different factors that influence um, property prices, but generally popular wisdom might be that interest rates are a key driver of that. But to some extent, it sounds as though you're sort of debunking that myth in what you've written.
1: Yeah, I mean there's, there is there is the 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 armchair commentator is quite often quoting interest rates as being the be all and end all for house prices, and you know it is a it is. A, Maybe I guess a bit of a, a short-term sort of stimulant to to what happens to house prices, but over the over the long term, you know, house prices mean revert around replacement costs. And so it depends whether we want to talk short-term or long-term. But um, you know, the whole idea that interest rates alone drive house prices is is crazy. I mean, just to throw a few stats at you, you know, the, one of the strongest housing markets in the world in the last 12 months has been Turkey, where house prices, house residential prices in Turkey, this is to October, that's the latest data we've got. Turkey house prices are up 40% this year and interest rates are around 15, 16%. In fact, if digging into that a little bit further, Turkish house prices have more than doubled in the last four years and interest rates have been going up. They've gone from about 9% to about 14, 15% so and then the other end of the spectrum one of the weakest performing housing markets in the world it's still up a bit is japan it's up around eight or nine percent interest rates have been zero so you know there's a lot more going on than just interest rates and i guess that's um that's why we've written a whole paper
0: on the future of house prices without even mentioning interest rates (laughs) okay so they have a role but maybe not the the be all and end all as many people think that chris you mentioned a term um in that response as well replacement cost which appears central to um, the way that you guys invest in terms of global real estate and how it influences, you know, overvalued or undervalued um, different property sectors. Can you explain that replacement cost, you know, concept and approach a bit more? Yeah, I mean, most people think real estate is the best way to
1: value real estate is comparable sales. You go and buy an apartment, you, you find out what the apartment upstairs or downstairs or next door sold for, and you use that as your benchmark. And people do that for office buildings and, shopping centers and industrial it's it's a very it's a very simple sort of metric to get your head around and the data is readily available so it makes it a bit easier we we think the best way to preserve capital is to not follow other people's transactions which is what that really does if you're just following someone else's transaction they could be that could be a genius or they could be fool Uh, we prefer to think about you know buying the underlying assets below the cost bill because When you're buying something above replacement cost, you're buying into a market where developers are going to supply the market with more product. It's going to be newer product and it's going to be done at a cheaper price. And that's not a great way to invest. If you're buying an existing apartment or building or industrial property, if you're buying below replacement cost, you're going to be pretty well protected because the supply, if it does come on, it's coming on at a higher price point. And and that kind of preserves your capital. And that's central to one of our themes.
0: Okay, that's very interesting. And in terms of supply and demand factors, which in fundamental economics, supply and demand factors uh, influence the price of any items. And we're talking about property and housing here. um, There's also been a couple of uh, big trends or themes in the last couple of years, including COVID and uh, that phrase supply chain issues. Have they had any role in supply and demand within this sector?
1: It's certainly had a problem with supply. I mean, we're seeing this in markets all around the world, in particular the United States, which you know house prices are up 22, 23% in the U.S., and it's very, very difficult for um, for new construction and new supply to meet that that short-term demand because of that uh, those supply constraints. So a lot of product that was expected to be finished by 2021. Has now been delayed into twenty twenty two, and a lot of product that was expected this year is being delayed into the following year. So, it is everything you're hearing about in terms of inflation, um, with supply chain is 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 happening in the residential market for the same reasons. Um, you know, the gutter guy doesn't show up, the gutters don't show up, the windows don't show up, the doorknobs don't show up. It, it sort of can delay the whole projects and and shifts and makes supply very hard to deliver.
0: Okay, so it's pushed back a bit of last year's activity into. Uh this year of 2022, by the sounds of it. is but, that a... But it's coming, right? It's coming. And is that a global phenomenon? Is there any real difference that you see? I know the, the world's a big place and the countries and regions are different, different influences or factors between domestically here in Australia and other parts of the world? Nah, no, no, it's, it's, it's the same issues
1: we're seeing, and not just in resi, across all different types of real estate. Um, it affects certain types of real estate less than others so it's not so much geographic it's it's more so it's affecting things it's something that's very simple to construct like self-storage yeah. or or um or industrial property it's less of an impact when you think about a house and you think of all the different trades that go into it um it, it's much more prone to that delay
0: and something that at least in my mind is um is different in different countries, is demographics, the population base, the the age, the retirement cohort or what have you. Is that something that you see playing a different role between different countries? Well, I guess that's the cornerstone of the, the paper we wrote this month is that
1: we're seeing, you know, going back to what we were saying before, we're seeing prices push way above replacement. And there's a whole range of reasons why that, might be the case, but leaving that aside for a moment, it's it's creating a supply response which is being delayed, uh, but that supply is coming, and um, and in the past, you know, that, that supply can get absorbed pretty quickly just through normal population growth. And if you think about Australia in particular, you know, we've had decent population growth really this century. You know, one anywhere between one and a half to one point seven percent per annum population growth. So even when we have those those sort of spikes in supply it gets absorbed pretty quickly. COVID's really interesting and we're not getting that population growth. And so we're, we're looking at this scenario, which is a little bit concerning where there's definitely a lot of supply coming in, in many markets around the world, but the population growth, particularly because of immigration, is not coming through this time. And um, and that is that, that should be a bit of a concern. It um, doesn't matter what the RBA does. If you build too much product, um, the price, you know, developers start getting desperate to clear and they'll cut prices and that has an impact on the secondary
0: market. So that's,
1: okay.
0: that is a concern. <clears throat> that's interesting. And to focus on that um, a little bit more, particularly within the, the US, within your insight piece, house prices, what's in store, we've been accustomed to the the baby boomers, I suppose, in Australia and generally around the world in the last couple of decades as a focus point. Um, but in the States, you note and focus on the millennials over there as a primary cohort to keep an eye on?
1: Yeah, yeah. So when we launched the fund in 2014, um, you know, the echo boomers or the millennials, you know, they were in that sort of age that they were typically in that early 30s bracket where they were still sort of moving around, you know, know, not really settling down. and, And it was great for our to be in the apartment space. It was a really good spot to be in. Um, you know, sometimes I have to pinch myself that you know we've been going eight years now, and that that demographic of the early, you know, that, that's thirty-year-old to thirty-four-year-old sort of demographic, which which had a, a penchant to to rent an apartment, and now, you know, in their late thirties, early forties, and starting to settle down, you know, they need to get their kids in schools. Um, they start to you know become a little bit more wedded to their communities, and so you know, apartment living. Uh, particularly urban apartment living doesn't really cater for that that shift in demographics so the demographics now shifting very very much so towards what we call single family residentials which is basically just think of a house standalone house Um, and so we've been allocating more more and more we've done really well out of apartments um you know well over 100 percent in some of our um total return in some of our investments but we see the opportunity now to, you know, de-weight out of that space and, and move more into single family because of those demographics. Which, as you know, is, you know, it's it's the easiest macro to understand, but it's the hardest macro to be disciplined around because it
0: takes time, and and that's what really that's that's what we're doing at the moment. Okay, and to take that a little step further, just as the uh, in Australia, you know, the Brisbane housing market's different to Melbourne and Sydney and, and Perth. I expect that's the, the same in the state. So as you said, looking at the single housing market there, are particular states, regions in the, the US where this is more of a focus for you? Well, no, I mean, single is just going great. There's two really
1: big single family operators in the United States. One's called Invitation Homes, one's called American Homes for Rent. And they have, there's a bit of a crossover in their portfolio, but there's, there is a lot of differentiation as well. And the numbers are pretty similar. Um, so the U.S., particularly after the global financial crisis, there was a complete collapse in supply, in, and particularly in single-family homes, because the market was oversupplied and and no one wanted to be in the industry. And banks wouldn't lend to it, and you know a whole variety of reasons. The industry was completely gutted, and so um, not so much in apartments. Apartments bounced back really quickly, in terms of construction, but but. Um, Right now in the United States, we estimate there's at least 5 million, there's a shortfall of around 5 million houses relative to demand, um, and demand is increasing. So we think on the current run rate, there is going to be a long, long, long runway of this demand supply imbalance for for houses, not so for apartments. We think that because apartments came back so quickly, we think there's a risk that apartments are moving into an oversupplied sort of scenario just when the demographics are turning against it. There's only real estate developers can do, right? Um, Just as the demographics are turning against it. So what we're seeing, Stu, is is no matter where we're looking, we're seeing great leasing spreads in single families, great rental growth. In fact, literally this morning, just before I got onto this podcast, one of our investees has reported their new new leases, you know, on expiring leases are up 17% on last year. And, uh, and renewals are around ten percent. So, um, and that was right across the board. You know, east coast, west coast. Um, you know, the sunshine um, is the sorry, the sunbelt state. So, it's very broad based.
0: And and back domestically uh, to tie it back to to Australia here, it's, it's um, uh, you're seeing a similar demand. I know back to that talk of you know interest rates expected to rise through the year, but um, the consumer and household savings are at reasonable levels are they that um, there's still that demand and interest from the population
1: yeah i mean that's the whole fear of missing out i mean the, the market i think that is probably the most interesting is is perth in that it, it most of the supply is definitely in the east coast and then when you look at it it's definitely sydney um, so that's probably where you know, we would see, you know, most of the risk. Perth has been trading, you know, Perth house prices certainly haven't kept up with, you know, the East Coast. And so the supply is just not, hasn't been as strong. So it, it is very different in Australia. It's very hard to talk about Australia generally because each market is so, so different. Um, yeah, I, most of the risks seem to be building more on the East Coast and, and Sydney in particular, Yeah, know. And the thing is, you know, if you if you look at the, the, the research paper we put out, um, you, you've seen a huge spike in approvals, but completions haven't caught up yet. And there's a, usually about a nine-month lag between um, approvals and starts and completions. So this year, we're going to see a lot of stock get completed, particularly in Sydney, and, and it's going to be an interesting market to watch, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, it sounds like there's quite a bit on the go, and maybe as we look to wrap up, um, for the listeners it would probably be remiss of me, Chris, if I didn't put you on the spot and ask, well, what's going to happen with the house prices then this year? Are they still booming and heading north? Are we looking at disaster worry? Are we kind of, <laughs> kind of somewhere in between, do you think? You know, the financial market is
1: littered with the dead bodies of housing perma bears. You know, I, I'm, I will, I, I'm very, very reluctant to bet against, you know, house prices long term inflation is always your get-out-of-jail-free card because five years, 10 years later, 10 years down the track, it's always going to cost more to build, house, apartment or whatever. So long as you're buying, you're pretty patient, you're going to do okay. But I think if taking a one-year view, uh, one to two-year view, uh, my best guess is it'll probably sidetrack from here. You're going to hear a few stories where prices might be falling in certain markets or certain categories, but by and large, might just drift backwards or or flat track for here for a few years similar to what it did you know in the mid 2000s like between 2003 to 2008 you know prices excluding perth of course but prices kind of they went backwards in real terms but kind of flat nominal i wouldn't be surprised if that's the scenario we're looking at in the next few
0: years fair enough i think very sensible of you chris to mention those words long-term and patient in, in talking about investing, be it uh, house prices or or others, it's probably fair to say. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Always good to have a have a chat to you and, um, and good work on putting together the, the Insight paper, House Prices, What's In Store. I'm sure it'll be a, a broadly read article by many. Great. Thanks, Stu.